In our ongoing Lenten series on encounters with Jesus, tonight we are focusing in on this passage in John 11, the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And I want to hone in on the grieving sisters for a moment. They make the exact same statement when they first see Jesus. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary, Martha says this first in verse 21, and then Mary says it in verse 32. Both of them, the first words out of their mouths, exactly the same. And I'd say it wouldn't be unfair for us to hear in these words undertones of disappointment and frustration, accusation, and even anger toward Jesus. After all, they had sent for him several days earlier when their brother was still alive and when there was still hope, right? They knew that Jesus could heal their brother. They had seen him countless other times heal others of illness. Surely he would come, right? Surely he would come to their aid. But he hadn't come. Not when they needed him most. So when they see him for the first time, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you, Lord, had just done what we had asked, then none of this would have happened. And we wouldn't be in the situation that we find ourselves in. We've all been there. Some of us are in situations like this right now, where we're crying out to Jesus for help, for his aid. And it just seems in our experience that he's not showing up. He's delaying. And all the while that he delays, people are dying, relationships are broken, opportunities are lost, dreams are shattered, and lives are altered and ended in permanent ways, including, obviously, our lives. And this is real carnage in a real world, and it really hurts. Lord, if you had been here, if you had only answered my prayer, if you had responded to my cry for help, then none of this would have happened. And I wouldn't be in the situation in which I find myself. Now, too often in the church, we're too quick to dismiss reactions like this to Jesus as unholy and unfaithful. But I want you to recognize from this text that that these kinds of responses don't necessarily indicate a lack of faith. In fact, Martha is quick to add to her protesting words to Jesus in verse 22. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. So this cry, this protest first, is is, is deep faith. There is deep faith in these words of hers. But in her pain and her loss, that faith is not without its struggle and without its wrestling and without its trials in the midst of the world that we find ourselves. The psalmist show us this reality again and again on on the lips of the faithful. So here's the question I want us to ask as we come to John 11. How does Jesus respond to the sisters? How does he minister to them in their grief and in their frustration and even in the midst of their anger? And then how might he do so to us? How might he minister to us when situations in our lives lead us to cry out, Lord, if you had been here? So the first thing is that Jesus offers reassurance to them that the pain and the sorrow and the bewilderment and ultimately the death 
that they currently experience is not the end. Your brother will rise again, Jesus says in verse 23. The first words, mind you, out of his mouth to a grieving woman who had just lost her brother. And this reassurance that he gives her in verse 23 rests upon his identity, which he then unveils and reveals to her as he continues in verses 25 and 26 with these well-known words, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. The reassurance that he offers to Martha and that he offers also to us is this, that the inevitability of death whether in its final form, as in the case of Lazarus, or in the thousands of ways that we experience death in an intermediate form in our own lives, through disappointments and failed dreams and bereavement and countless other kinds of suffering and loss. This death, this pain and this sorrow and this confusion are not ultimately determinative or final experiences. However much they may feel like it, In the midst of our daily life, they're not ultimately determinative or final for those who trust in him. For Martha, for Mary, for Lazarus himself, and for all of us. However painful and however difficult that the experiences that we have are, these are ultimately not the end. Jesus promises with these words in verses 25 and 26 to bring us through these things to resurrection and life. I am the resurrection and the life. So to borrow from Jesus' words, though we die, sometimes a thousand deaths, yet shall we live because of him. Because of his power and his grace and his love and his promise, death, whether final or intermediate, is not the end. But then Jesus' reassurance to Martha is accompanied by a challenge and by a question. We really wish that he didn't ask the question, at least not at this moment, not in the midst of her pain. But Jesus knows that everything in our experience hinges on this, on this truth about himself being real in the hearts of his followers. So he asks Martha at the end of verse 26, Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? In the midst of your pain, and in the midst of your grief, and in the midst of your disappointment, in the midst of your disillusionment, while Lazarus is still in the grave, do you believe that I will see you through all the dark places and through death itself? Do you believe that this is not the end, Martha? Do you believe that I will overcome and that those who belong to me, who believe in me, will overcome as well and will ultimately never die? Do you believe this? Now we can anticipate all of the responses, but you didn't come, Jesus. You didn't act. You you, you let him die. And yet astonishingly for us and instructively, Martha answers, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. 
This is the faith that says, Lord, I wanted you to be here. I wanted things to be different in my life. I wanted your power to be displayed in, that, in the way that I asked for right now. And you didn't show up. And you didn't reveal your power as I had asked. And this hurts really badly. And I'm in real pain. And I'm grieving. But yes, Lord, I believe. I believe. At one point in C.S. Lewis's Screwtape letters, written from the voice of a demon named Screwtape to his disciple Wormwood, Screwtape says this, Our cause is never more in danger, that is the cause of the devil, is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring, but intending to do our enemy's will, that is God's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished, and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. This is the kind of faith that Jesus blesses at the end of John's gospel when he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Do you believe this? But Jesus doesn't just stop with reassurance and the call to believe and to trust in him in the midst of of our death. After Mary's identical protest, a few verses later, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We see another response, a different response from Jesus. He sees her pain and he sees the pain of those who are around her, the Jews that had come from Jerusalem to Bethany to weep with her. He sees them weeping. And then we read that he was deeply moved in his spirit. And greatly troubled, verse 33. And then in verse 35 we read, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. The one who knows more than anyone that he will see them through this moment. The one who knows that he's about to raise Lazarus from the grave. This one is deeply moved in the sight of this woman that he loves in the sight of these friends that he loves. And he weeps. Why does he weep? He weeps because he sees the pain and the sorrow upon the hearts of those he loves caused by death on his friends. He sees the destruction and the despair caused in his world by death and sin and evil. He sees the world that he himself was instrumental in creating, over which the the Father had pronounced, this is very good, being ripped apart by illness and by pride and by greed and by injustice and by anger and by envy. And the list goes on. And this deeply moves him and deeply troubles him because this is not the way it's supposed to be. These are words of deep comfort for those of us who in this world mourn and suffer and who are in pain and bereaved from those that we love. For those of us, and that's all of us, who are impacted by the carnage in and around us in the world. If all Jesus gave to the sisters in this story and in our pain, was a reaffirmation of his identity and a call to believe, it would be true and it would be adequate. But we might say it could also be a bit callous. And we don't serve a callous God. 
If that's all he gave us, we could probably protest that, look, God, you don't understand the situation that I'm in. And we might even conclude that we should be ashamed of our tears and of our sorrow and our sighs and our struggles. But the Lord of glory weeps. Jesus wept. And in those tears, Jesus affirms the tears of those of us who mourn in a world of mourning and those of us who suffer in a world of pain. These tears do not need to be denied in our experience or covered up or brushed over. They're not a sign of unbelief or of sin. In fact, they are more than appropriate. They are more than appropriate. In a world where brothers like Lazarus die prematurely from illness, where children are malnourished, where genocide still occurs, and the list goes on. And so the one who said to us earlier in his ministry, blessed are those who mourn, mourns himself in the face of death's destruction in the lives of his friends. In the midst of our own pain, wherever you might be in a situation like this tonight, crying out, Lord, if you had only been there. We must apprehend the weeping Jesus. Not for some kind of sentimental comfort. But because it's a sign that he understands our situation. He identifies with our situation and our pain. And he himself is no stranger to pain and to sorrow and to suffering. And in this understanding that we see in this passage, he affirms our struggles and brings to us in the midst of them genuine comfort that only a Savior who understands can bring. But of course, and this is the last point, What brings us the most comfort of all is this. It's not that he came just to to declare the truth about himself. It's not just that he came to identify with our suffering. But he came to do something about it. He came to act. And this was his plan all along. Yes, even here in the case of Lazarus. We know this from the beginning and the way the story starts. He waited two days because he loved them. He said this sickness is not to death, but is for the glory of God. And that the Son of Man might be glorified. And so yes, it's the case here with Lazarus. But yes, it's also the case in the world where you and I live. In this story, Jesus acts and reverses the situation of suffering in an immediate immediate sense. Being deeply moved and troubled, he asks, where have you laid him? So to the tomb they go. Take away the stone. And then, Lazarus, come out. And finally, unbind him and let him go. In these short statements and the response in the world to his word, which is the dead man, Lazarus, rising from the tomb and walking out bound to be unbound, Jesus demonstrates his divine sonship And he authenticates once and for all the fact that he can deliver what he has been promising all along in his ministry. Which is, in John's gospel, eternal life. To those who believe. Those who believe in him will never die. 
Because death itself is clearly no match for him. But while Jesus deals with Mary and Martha's Lord if you had been here protest by raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus also knows full well that Lazarus's tomb will not remain empty. Lazarus would die again. Thus the one-off raising of Lazarus just like the occasional one-off reversals of our situations of pain are only fundamentally signs that point us to a greater action that would be Jesus' real and greater response to the evil and sin that lurks behind every ounce of pain and suffering that we experience in our lives and in this world. That lurks behind every situation that leads us to cry, Lord, if you had been here. This greater action is, of course, Jesus' own dying on the cross and rising again through which our vanquished once and for all the power of sin and death that mocks our world and that makes a mess of our lives. And Jesus' tomb, unlike Lazarus's, remains empty. And will remain empty. Because as Paul says in Romans 6, death no longer has dominion over him. He's come out the other side. Victorious. Reigning. And ruling. The resurrection and the life. And his own resurrection guarantees for us the future resurrection of all of us who believe in him. And have eternal life. To the sisters and to us in the midst of our grief and pain. Jesus offers reassurance that these things are not the end. They are not determinative. And he calls us to faith in him in the midst of a broken and sinful world. And he also affirms our humanness and our sorrows and our tears. Sharing them with us and therefore understanding them. And he's gracious to us in the midst of our laments and our protests and our frustration and even our anger that resides behind Mary and Martha's comments here. Thanks be to God. But most importantly, he acts. And even those of us who still have Lazaruses in the tomb, even for us, we can affirm with confidence that God has in a a definitive and a final way dealt with the very situations that are causing us pain and sorrow and suffering and causing us to cry out, Lord, if you had been here. That he's dealt with these things in a real way and he has triumphed over them through the cross and the resurrection. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Be brought through death. Will live even though he dies. This isn't idealistic gas. This is the bedrock of our faith. The heart of the church. Of course we wish that we could experience more of that victory even now. We wish that our own Lazaruses would be brought out of the tomb now. We envy Martha 
and Mary's resolution in John 11. And that's completely okay and right and deeply right. That's human for us to long to see these things in a real way. But in the light of the resurrection, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we know that God is not indifferent to our pain. That he reassures and understands and that he acts in the midst of these things. That he has entered in and he has dealt the decisive blow. And we, by his grace, can stand in the midst of these situations in faith and in patience and with hope and with true joy. Yes, mixed with tears. Yes, mixed with mourning. And we can cry out, come, come, Lord Jesus, come, come and seal the victory, come and make all things new, come, amen.